Uh, we're going to take just a little break from James. I think Pastor Brian just has one more message anyway, and he was going to do it last Sunday, and things went a little long, and so I guess we'll get to hear that next Sunday. But this is uh, just where the Lord's been speaking to me. Um, we certainly have a lot of things to pray for, don't we? Um, it's a privilege for some of us to get together a week ago and spend some time in prayer. But it seems like over the past week, things have just literally exploded. Um, we've got problems across the United States, but also across the world. And I think that people are anxious, and maybe you're anxious as well. And it's easy for us to respond emotionally. We get upset. We start to worry. We start to make decisions based on uh, how we feel. And I think that uh, it's easy for us to, to struggle in our hearts. Um, it's been a, a challenge uh, here in my life for the last few months as we've gone through some changes and challenges in our lives as a family. And God has been speaking to my heart as well as my family. And it's been encouraging to see God change us in some very specific areas. Luke chapter 17 is actually uh, where Jesus talks about forgiveness. And this sermon is not on forgiveness, but we'll talk about forgiveness later. Uh, the title of my sermon is, Is God My Boss? And it goes along really well with the fruit of the Spirit is in the children's church this morning. Gentleness or meekness simply means the disposition or to yield or the willingness to say yes. Um, since I stepped down from Pleasant Home Church, I was a leader, of course. I've been a leader of several churches. And you kind of get used to that, don't you? And maybe some of you who are bosses uh, understand what I'm saying. How many of you are bosses? Are there any bosses here? Maybe you're in charge. I know there's a few of you. you know, you're humble. You don't want to admit it. But uh, you have a, a responsibility to uh, help other people do their work. And um, that's kind of what a pastor does. That's what a church board does. That's what often a farmer does. Uh, he has people underneath them. Uh, we have businesses here in town where maybe you're the owner or maybe you're the manager. Um, you kind of understand uh, the role of a boss, hopefully, that you have the responsibility of people underneath you. Well, then there's the rest of us, right? Those of us who are the workers, we're the ones under the boss, and uh, that's what I am now. I'm not the boss anymore. I'm under a boss. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that dynamic is a little challenging, especially if you've been a boss before. Um, you know what it's like to, to lead and be in charge, but what about doing what other people tell you to do? <laughs> and since I've been working at the school, it's, it's been a growing opportunity for me to be able to work under people and uh, to, be wor to work under people who are quite a bit younger than me. Uh, it is cool, though, in our school district that there's a number of people that are, shall I say, mature, who work there, and they're a tremendous blessing to the school. And I think you see a bit of work ethic in that uh, generation that maybe we're gradually losing. I don't know. But um, probably all of us understand that relationship. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 17. I'm just going to uh, begin reading. I have to use big papers now. Um, 
I'm going to begin with verse 5. It says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. This is after he told them how they should forgive. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me, while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty to do. Um, I must admit, this isn't one of those feel-good sermons. <laughs> I wish it was. I think probably, if anything, we all need a little comfort right now. But this is what the Lord shared with me a few weeks ago when I was kind of hurting in my heart. I was struggling with some uh, resentment, uh, struggling with uh, some why God is this happening. And the Lord kind of spoke to me in, in uh, just a simple way, touched my heart. And I started thinking about our relationship. I thought it was interesting that one of the songs we sang uh, talked about he's a good, good father. It's, it's who you are. And I'm a child of God. It's who I am. And you know, something else we are is we are servants of God. That's who we are. It's, it's our, part of our identity. Um, you know, it's interesting. Coming back to Goodland 10 years ago, I had to learn the, the lingo of the farmer. <laughs> had to sit down with coffee. It took me several months and finally was able to catch up, you know, understand that they started using grain carts instead of just putting the grain right into the truck. Had to find out how to run a grain cart. And I actually... Uh, ran a grain cart for several years uh, after I found out what one was. And there's just a special uh, way about the farmer, and some of you are farmers, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, you, you have a, an identity, and uh, maybe there are other types of jobs that people have identities. Well, we have an identity, and we belong to God. We belong to uh, Him not just physically, but in every way. We are his children. And I think that it's important for us to understand and cultivate that relationship. This is a very intimate moment here that Jesus has with his disciples. Uh, we're kind of allowed into a moment where he is speaking to their hearts. And... He's teaching them about an abstract concept that they needed to grasp, the concept of forgiveness. Uh, back when we were having our uh, men's fraternity, and I, I really enjoy that, appreciate the church having that group uh, that meets on Monday nights. But we had a series or, that we uh, spent one evening talking about forgiveness. And you talk about a very, very emotional uh, time. When you start thinking about forgiveness and the people that maybe we are wrestling with in our lives, maybe in our past. And I'm sure that that's what the disciples were thinking when Jesus told them to forgive. Um, he says, if someone, verse 3, if someone sins against you, rebuke him. And then if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day turns to you and says, I repent, you're supposed to forgive him. 
And that's where the disciples come up with this answer, Lord, increase our faith. I honestly don't think they were ready for this uh, education on forgiveness. I think that was kind of the pat answer that they had in their hearts. Lord, we're just not ready. Increase our faith, you know. Uh, Give us the ability to say yes to that command. And there's a powerful lesson. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. Sometimes we obey even though we don't feel like it. Sometimes we are called to obey even when it goes against every fiber of our, of our being. And so what are we supposed to do when our heart and everything about us cries one thing and God tells us to do something else? When in our own strength we can't even begin to think about those things. And like I said, a few weeks ago I was... I was uh, in a place of quiet, I was letting the Lord speak to me and I was telling him a few things. <laughs> and maybe you've done that. And the Lord just kind of gave me a, a tidbit of truth that I have known since I was saved. And it's this notion of duty. It's not a very pretty word. It's not a very pleasant word. It's the word duty. And I think about our men and women who are in the military today and the challenges that they face serving in an organization that probably is is underfunded. Uh, There's a big question mark about uh, America and its ability to do its job militarily. But every morning, those men and women get up early, probably earlier than all of us, and put their boots on, get their uniforms on, and they go and they serve anyway. And in the course of just a few verses, that's what Jesus tells his disciples. And he uses an illustration of a farmer who has a servant who goes out and he does some farming all day long. And I know how long farmers spend out in the field. I've been out there a few times myself, and I'm not a farmer, but I'm glad that I'm not (laughs) because it's a lot of hard work. You stay out there until it's done many times, sometimes all night long. And I just picture in my mind this hired hand, if you will, who has gone out to the field 12, 13 hours, probably got up before dark, Spent all day working, and they didn't have air-conditioned tractors back then. He did manual labor all day long. And Jesus almost seems unkind, if you will. He seems calloused, maybe, when he inserts in this illustration a question. When he comes in, does the servant go and sit down to meet? And the answer is no. Because not only is this guy a hired hand, he's also a butler. And he changes out of his farming clothes and he puts on his butler clothes and he goes into the kitchen and he fixes a meal, but he doesn't fix it for himself. He fixes it for the farmer. He fixes it for his master. And Jesus goes to great lengths to help us understand 
two simple words that we as Christians sometimes forget that God tells us. And this is what God told me. Two words, serve me. Serve me. And serve me can be the answer to all of our problems. Because if the tractor breaks down the field, who owns a tractor? If something breaks down in our lives, who owns us? Who owns our situation? Who owns our circumstances? It's God. And eventually we discover something that often I forget, and that is is that we're not only the servant, we're the land. We're the work that God is trying to finish to perfect us and make us like Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'll just read this verse. It says, Paul does, being confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And it's ironic that we often think of God's work as out there somewhere. And sometimes he leads us out there. Um, it's a privilege to be able to see people go places and other places and serve the Lord. But truly we are, all are called to be God's ministers, if you will. I want to have you go to one more passage. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. And again, this is kind of a tough, tough concept, but I think it's a concept that we desperately need today. We need it. Our children need it. Our grandchildren need it. Our society needs it. And it flies in the face of political correctness here. Begin with verse 18. Paul says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but to the evil. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And then Paul goes on to say, you know, if you do something bad and you get punished for it, there's no blessing there. There's no reward there. Well, there is, but it's a bad reward. It's a punishment. The only kind of punishment or the only kind of suffering that merits reward is when you do something good and then you're punished for it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preached this when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I think there's a couple different levels of suffering. Sometimes we suffer because of who we are. You know, we're Christians. We, we meet here worship you know we try to be a blessing to other people and that again flies in the face of the world and we suffer but sometimes we suffer because of our identity and that is we belong to God we belong to him and we are his workmanship we are his representative and many times in the New Testament Jesus uses 
himself as an illustration of somebody that we should follow, and that's what Peter does. If we jump down to verse 21, it says, For hereunto you were also called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Remember when Jesus first came on the scene in the New Testament after he was born, you know, he was lost, if you will, and the parents, they went to find him, and they finally found him after a couple days, and where are you? Where were you? And you remember what he said? I must be about my father's business. It's because Jesus took his responsibility, took his duty literally. He took it seriously. It's not how, just how we live, but it's who we are. Every morning we wake up to duty. We wake up to responsibility. But it's interesting that our job is not the same as the job of a farmer, probably. You know, a farmer can be a Christian, a Christian can be a farmer, and then go out and do the work. A person can go work somewhere in a factory, or they can work somewhere here in town. And they can look at that role as serving God and you know we all should do that but ultimately it boils down to who is our boss and what is our boss telling us to do I think we know a lot of things that our boss is telling us I just wrote down a few things and you know there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible but here are a few I'd like to mention it's our job as children to honor our fathers and mothers. Amen? That wasn't very loud. <laughs> Kids are in the children's church, but we all have fathers and mothers, and we still have that privilege of honoring them with our lives, even if they're not here, right? It's our job as a husband to love our wives. It's our job to live peaceably and submit to civil authorities. And as Jesus taught in Luke chapter 17, it's our duty to forgive others their trespasses against us. And again, we say to ourselves, how am I going to do that? You know, I've got a bad attitude. You know, I'm, I have resentment in my heart. You know, I'm mad. And sometimes maybe we're even mad at God. I know I've been kind of upset with him at times. Lord, I've been serving you all these years, and this is what I, this is what I get. <laughs> then all of a sudden, God does something, and we go, hey, okay. And it's amazing how quickly that attitude can change when God speaks to our hearts. I don't know what kind of language he uses for you, but a lot of times he uses pain and suffering for me. And as we accept what he's trying to tell us, we see that there is a baton being passed from Jesus Christ to us that doesn't end until we are in the presence of God. So I'd like to suggest three things this morning to help us understand how to make God our boss. Maybe you can look at it this way. How do I say yes? <laughs> didn't like your sermon very well and to be honest with you I didn't like it very well either 
Why should God be my boss? Number one, because he is. When everything comes to a close, and sometimes I think it's sooner than later, when we stand in the presence of God, it's like that song said, we're going to stand before God. And he's going to be up there, and we're going to be down, and everything's going to be figured out if it wasn't figured out before that. You know, the Bible uses the term Lord. I just use the word boss because somebody suggested that to me many years ago, and I, I kind of took a hook on that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I wrestle with being under a boss. Uh, my spirit, my heart is restless. I don't want to eat my vegetables. Uh, I don't want to do what people are telling me to do. I want to do what I want to do. And then I remember that somebody else signs my check. I remember that somebody else uh, gives me a job description, a responsibility, and that's what I do. And, and that's what God does as well. It's who he is. He's a good, good father, but he's a father. We're not our own. We won't turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that even our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. Uh, these shells are, are just something that we rent <laughs> uh, from God until he gives us a new body, and I'm pretty sure we'll keep those. But we truly find our identity in who God is. And maybe... Maybe you're wrestling with that. I know that I do. I wrestle with the hierarchy, if you will. Number two, and this is kind of a tough one. Ask God to overcome the negative and destructive emotions you feel. Maybe somebody has hurt you. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you were abused in some way. I don't think God called us to be associated and identified with those negative emotions the rest of our lives. Uh, Chip Ingram, maybe you've heard of him. He's a radio preacher. He's uh, on YouTube. Um, but when he first got saved, you know, he wasn't sure if he was qualified to be in ministry. And he started reading the Bible and he found that, uh, you know, Peter uh, denied the Lord three times. And I said, wow, that's pretty amazing somebody who denied the lord you know spend three years with jesus and pretend like at the end he wasn't even part of his group and then he read about paul the apostle before he got saved he was killing people and chip said well i guess i haven't killed anybody <laughs> and i haven't betrayed the lord i guess if they can do it i can do it and i think sometimes those negative emotions those feelings that we have toward anything and everything can just weigh us down to the point where we can't see god anymore Maybe it's fear or resentment or worry. And at some point, you're going to have to be willing to set those negative emotions aside. Because God doesn't want you to dwell on those things. And probably the, the simplest answer, the simplest uh, application of this passage that I can take from it I actually wrote three sermons, and you're getting two of them, but this point was in both of the two of the sermons, and that is the concept to sit still. Just sit still. 
You know, if I took a minute and didn't say anything, you'd all go crazy. And we've got our cell phones, we've got our iPads, we've got our laptops. And we're so attached to those things, it's part of our society, we can't get away from them. But I challenge you, and I challenge myself, take that phone, shut it off, walk away, and go find some place to sit for an hour. And just do what we did this morning, say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And even though you don't feel like it, even though it's the last thing on your agenda, just do it. And I can guarantee you that God will meet you where you are. I think that we live in a society that is so frenzied, we don't have time to hear the still small voice of God. And maybe you're here this morning and your heart is heavy. Maybe you're here this morning and if something happened to you, if we had a catastrophe and, and you died, you don't know if you would spend eternity in heaven. I can almost guarantee you that the reason you don't know is because you haven't had the time or you haven't taken the time to read what God says. Number one, God loves you. Number two, God loves you enough that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your penalty of sin and for my penalty of sin. Number three, if we put our trust in Jesus to save us from our sin, if we let go and try to stop saving ourselves and we say yes to him, the Bible says that he will. And then we just have to walk away from that and let go and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to do your job. Because, see, God is doing his job. <laughs> Question is, am I doing my job? Are you doing your job? By responding to what he's trying to do in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege we have to read it. And Lord, even though we don't feel like saying yes to you, Lord, each and every day you challenge us to say yes anyway. To serve you. And I just pray that God, if there's a person here this morning that doesn't know for sure that if they died today, that they go to heaven. I pray that they will not be guided by emotion, but they will ask somebody for help. Lord, that takes an awful lot of humility. But I pray that, God, you will meet them where they are and give them that courage. Lord, give us as a church the courage to stand up and to say yes to you in the face of almost certain persecution, Lord, as we go through these days. I pray that you will be with the believers in Turkey. I pray that you will be with the believers in France, that they will be a light shining for you, Lord. And I pray that we'll be a light here in the United States and that you will... Lord, if it be your will, bring revival to our hearts once again. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.